0: oh my god oh, oh my god I I hate people. here we go here we, we go. go here we, we go, go, go again. again it's episode 30 oh, yeah. uh, fish don't fry in kitchens <laughs> beans don't burn, <laughs> on, on, burn on, the on the grill that's right yeah it took a whole lot of trying just to get up that hill now we're up in the big oh my leagues. God. I'm kidding. I was like, I can't believe you remember all the words. <laughs> I, I don't know why. It was the first thing that came to my head. As if mean... we're in the big leagues, we are not. I wish. <laughs> oh my God, that was so good. Uh, I'm. Hey, everyone. I'm Rachel. That's Rebecca. We're identical twins who love True Crime. We rap. We love True Crime. We love a plot twist and hate people. Well, we do. I am telling my story today. Rachel, Rebecca will be listening. Um, is your Are you on the right Wi-Fi this time? Last time Rebecca's Wi-Fi got a little dicey towards the end. Uh, no, yes, I did. Did you check with your IT guy? Yes, I did. And I'm sleeping with him, so I trust him. I'm just kidding. He hates you're, being called an IT guy. He is not an IT guy. <laughs> you're a slut. You're slut. Does Barrett know? <laughs>
1: <laughs> Does Y'all, your-
0: that... Is her husband. He hates being called an IT guy. He's just good at tech stuff. I know. But people think he's actually an IT. Where it's like, no, he's in home automation, guys. And uh, <laughs> he's not going to fix your computer problem, which a lot of people think he is. Hey, will you fix my Wi-Fi? He's like, what are you fucking kidding me? Oh, well, I'm one of those people now. Sorry, Barrett. It's okay. Sorry, B. Big big week in well, not big, big week, but I was gonna say big week in true crime. Um, mm-hmm. boy in the box has been named. We knew that they identified him. I think we may have even talked about it in the last episode. I can't remember, but mm-hmm. now we have an actual name. Joseph Augustus Zarelli. Yeah. Oh, oh the oldest case, one of the oldest cases in Philadelphia. Um, obviously, 65 years. He was found in 1957. He was, they knew back then that he was between the ages of three and seven, but they never knew who he was, so they couldn't confirm that. But they do have his birth certificate now, and he was freshly four years old. He had turned four in January, and he was mor- murdered in February. Ugh. And that makes me so ill. Um, but I have so many questions, and they're not going to, they won't identify, like, really who the living relatives are. He does have siblings who are still alive. hmm Both of his parents are dead, but I'm assuming, I'm sorry to spread rumors, but again, this was in the fifties. I'm assuming the parents did it because he was never, he was never, um, reported missing. Right. And, um, he was very malnourished and I'm like, you're only malnourished. You're three years old, four years old. You're only malnourished if your parents don't feed you. I'm sorry. Right. You're not like living on the streets. Right. That makes me so sad. I uh, know. Well, I'm so glad that he can finally rest in peace in a with a tombstone that says his actual name and not what did it say? Um, America's Unknown Child. I don't know. It's heartbreaking. And he was a cutie. Oh my god, so cute. That is bath like that. That they he was never reported missing. Yeah, I wonder what his siblings say. I hope they do like an interview something. Come on. The police wouldn't even say what their reaction was. I know. Like they're keeping it real close to the chest. I so know. it's that's sketchy. But oh, I'm glad that that little boy can rest now. Rest in peace, Joseph. Oh, so cute. You're such an adorable sweet baby angel. Um, and then we we've said this the past what, three, two to three episodes since the Idaho case has been ongoing. We hope by the time this episode airs there's more information. But so far, there's really hasn't been. Mm -mm. Um, This week, we, they have said this week, I think two days ago, that now they really want to talk to the person with a Hyundai Elantra. Yeah. A white one. Mm -hmm. I don't know. We don't know why, but they do. There's a lot of, we've, we've posted like a couple of videos on TikTok that are like Things we know, because if you are in these Reddit and Facebook forums, there are rumors, hearsay, like the most insane, like mm-hmm. my brother-in-law's best friend's cousin is a detective in Idaho, not far from Moscow. And here's what he hears. It's just, I'm like, all right, stop. Don't type anymore. Right. Drug cartel, all Drug that. cartel, the whole thing. Um, so we've been posting like from the Moscow PD website, they have updates as they come. Like, here's what we actually know because it's confusing. Right. And it's hard to keep up with. Like I would love to be the go to for all things Idaho murder, but like every morning there's an update and there's not really an update. They're just reiterating what we already know. And yeah, yeah, it's hard to keep up with. You have to be constantly refreshing Google to get actual any new information. Right. Well, their their website really does have like a that's good to know designated that. spot that's where i've been make, how i've been making the TikToks of like here's what we know these aren't the rumors these, this is from moscow pd there's a lot I'm is that latest... moscow not Mo- moscow yeah it's moscow oh. okay um my latest tiktok has so many comments about whether or not the roommates are involved I and i just gotta say maybe i'm naive I just don't think two 19-year-old girls or 20-year-old girls could do something like that. And they were cleared. That's, being cleared is unofficial. The police could come back and be like, never mind, they're not cleared. They're persons of interest. If they had real hard evidence that they are involved, A, I don't think they would be allowed to leave town, which right. I think they they went home to their parents' house. I'm sure they luminaled the shit out of the entire house. And like, if those girls stabbed their entire house to death, there would be blood in their bathrooms, in their rooms. I don't know. I just, I just don't, I would be shocked. Never say never. I, I will be, my tail will be so far in between my legs right. if they are involved, but they, I don't, also don't think they could have spoken to police only a couple hours later with like no, wounds on their hands like no marks like someone has posted a picture of one hand that's fine and one hand after using a knife for like hunting or something and their hand is so red like Mm -hmm. it's just I just don't I don't know I think there's probably a couple of things that cleared them immediately right what is can I tell you my theory I don't know if I, I should sure what if so Kaylee had the stalker what if that's all true? That stalker happened to be a Sigma Chi with Ethan. And Xana and Ethan knew about how weirdly obsessed this guy was and was probably what if he was at that Sigma cat party and they're like, dude, you need to back off Kaylee. She's scared of you. Leave her alone. And he this guy got all fucked up and was like, screw you, you'll see. I'm gonna, I'm gonna get her tonight, or said something really fucked up and he followed through with it. And then knowing Ethan and Xana were in the house, they're like, shit. They already they know what they know that I'm obsessed with Haley. They're going to know it's me. And they had, so I have to kill them too. Cause I would kind of explain, like, why kill Ethan and Xana? So Maddie and Kaylee were in the bed together. And so it just seems like, based on Kaylee's dad's comments, seems like Maddie was kind of collateral damage, which is so sad. But he said that Kaylee's injuries were far worse than any of the roommates they said. But I'm like, oh, so what if he got? killed Maddie quickly to get her out of the way and then went on to, you know? Yeah, no, I get it. They've said, they've determined the link of the story of Kaylee Stalker. Uh, Apparently in mid-October, she went into some local business, they haven't said what, and two guys followed her in. When those two guys got in, they parted ways and one of them was following Kaylee around the store. mm -hmm. She left, he stopped following her, he never spoke to her. But police found out who these two men were. So they went and talked to them. And they're like, What was your plan? What were you doing? Why were you following her around? And they said to meet women. Oh, so like yeah, they're I remember creepy. That. Yeah. They're creepy. But the police cleared them. Like they're like, they had nothing nothing to do with that. That's how the stalker story got started. I do think Kaylee was probably the target because her injuries were severe. And also that kind of could make sense. Two, because like, Kai is very close to their house. Right. But not not even necessarily so Kai. It could just be someone that Ethan and Xana know, or a friend of Ethan's, that he's like, leave Kaylee alone. And yeah. so he, they knew too much, essentially. So he had to kill them, too. My question is, if that were true, if it was someone in and out, like, did they shower there? You could, there there's no way anyone could have left that house covered in the amount of blood they were probably covered in. And then gone home to, like, a fraternity house or a house of roommates and been like, hey, what's going on? Oh, uh, we don't and know And then that. also. It was about the time they, he left. It was probably four, eight. What Do we know about how long it took? Because they were killed between two and six, right? There's no one out. <laughs> That's a real risky game to play. There could be anyone out. <laughs> to walk out covered in blood that's my that's my biggest question it's like how did they get out and getting out wouldn't be the issue this car could be parked there right there you just run to your car yeah nope. maybe that's why they want to talk to the yeah Hyundai. exactly yeah i don't know or he could just... yeah he could have lived alone i don't i mean you don't have to live in a fraternity house. You don't even have to be in a fraternity again. No, I know, but a lot there's. Sorry, that stems from a again a lot of chatter about it was probably Sigma Chi, and then they just ran back to their house. I'm like, they did not walk uh, no. into anyone's house with a bunch of dudes there covered in blood. There's no, no way. Mm-mm. I don't know. I need someone to crack the damn case, and I'm I'm thinking police know more obviously than we do. They're not. Releasing all the information, but I oh god. I know. I cannot wait to know what happened. Me neither. It's so sad. It's so sad. So senseless. As they all are. Um, this will be airing December 15th. It's the Christmas holiday. We've been watching all the holiday movies. It just puts me in a good mood. Mm-hmm. I've been putting on, like, Charlie Brown for the kids and the Flintstone Christmas, y'all. I'm so, l- yeah, I'm so nostalgic over the Flintstones Christmas. <laughs> Although, I don't think I've watched the right one. We used to watch just one in particular every year as a kid. And I, th- I look it up every year. I never can find it. But I did find what I thought was it. But I'm like, no, this wasn't the plot. It's still good. but You have to buy it. Um, it's the one when Santa breaks his ankle. Yeah. that's Yeah, what- yeah. I bought it the other day because Carolyn was home and I wanted her to watch it and secretly like, I just wanted to watch it. Sure. But um, yeah, you have to or, or I'll sign up for a free trial of, like Boomerang or some bullshit oh, okay. streaming service. So do that. It puts you in the spirit. Ugh, happy holidays, everyone. Now let's talk about murder. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Jesus. Let's though. <laughs> <laughs> I was literally typing this at like four in the morning and like a Hallmark Christmas movie came on. I was like, oh my God, cheesy and fun. And I was like, and then, <laughs> and then he stabbed him 35 times. Mm-hmm. It's ridiculous. But but really, let's talk about it. Let's. Okay. Again, this is Rachel and I'm telling y'all about the Eastburn family murders. Mm. Oh yeah. I, I know oh. somewhat of this. You're a bitch. I'm sorry. I just take my craft very seriously. You commute to work. That's where I get screwed. Uh-huh. Working from home has screwed me because I don't get to plug in a podcast or a YouTube <laughs> or a, ugh, whatever. So I, I think- you don't know everything. I'll tell you that right motherfucking now. Oh, okay. You know See, I, mean? I was about to say, I mean, I know like the overall gist, j- the ins and outs. Again, I don't know. You don't know shit. <laughs> We'll see about that. Okay. My sources are Crime Zone on YouTube, Crime Wire, Generation Y Podcast, mm. 2020, Wikipedia, True Crime Edition.com, CNN, oh my and LA Times. God. I had to do a lot of research. Clearly. Um, well, there's... Okay, you'll see. In May 1985, Katie Eastburn and her three daughters, Kara, Aaron, and Jana, aged 5, 3, and 22 months, were home in Fayetteville, North Carolina. Katie's husband, Gary, was a captain in the Air Force and at the time was doing a 10-week training at a squadron officer school in Montgomery, Alabama, while Katie stayed home with the kids in Fayetteville. Fayetteville's where Fort Bragg is. Big military Mm -hmm. uh, town, if if y'all don't know. Right. Gary had recently accepted a position with the Royal Air Force, so they're preparing to move to England. Fun. (laughs) Isn't that cool? Yeah. They had a dog named Dixie and decided not to bring him on the move. So Katie put an ad in the local newspaper to sell the dog for $10. (laughs) I knew that's going to be sad. It is sad. But please know, it didn't, it seemed like they did not take this decision lightly. They were really sad about it. The move. Overseas meant the dog had to be in quarantine. Like it was going to be a really sad transition. So they were like, "It's we can't do this to the dog." No, it, uh, yeah, I wasn't judging them at all. It's sad for them because no one wants to give away their dog. It's better for the dog situation, right? Yeah, and ten dollars—it's a steal. What kind of dog? An English setter. Oh, he would have been gone. He would have gone back to his homeland. <laughs> I know, but those are expensive. I think. I don't know anything. I don't I, know nothing about nothing. Yeah, I don't really either. Okay, well. But I do think they, yeah, I think that's a very good breed. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Um. So it, it the ad goes out in the newspaper, English Setter Dixie, for sale for $10. Tim Hennis, a 27-year-old Army sergeant based at Fort Bragg, responds to the ad, and on May 7th, he came to get the dog. On May 11th, before you ask, I just could feel this coming it's 1985. I know. Yes, I did. I knew that. Otherwise, I would have been like $10. No, I knew it was in the 80s and $10 is 175 now. I have no idea. I just felt it coming because you always say, wait, sorry, what year is it? I do always ask that. I do that too. It's 1985. So on May 11th, 1985. Gary is at a payphone in Montgomery waiting on Katie to call This was something they did every Saturday night. Very standard routine. This is their plan. So when she doesn't call, Gary's worried that something's wrong, and he calls the police to go over there. What a good husband. Wait, she calls from a payphone every Saturday night? She calls from her home phone to the payphone every Saturday night, and he waits by it. Yeah, it's the 80s. And how do you know the payphones number or like how did, how did, I think they were the payphones had numbers on them. They did? How did we know that? how did there's, we know that? There's still a payphone next to my kids' daycare. I'm gonna look at it. Look at it, tell me the number, I'll call it and you answer. Okay. The Saturday night. <laughs> I'm kidding. Don't poke fun at the East Burns. I'm this not is I'm getting new. No, I was just kidding. I wanted to guilt you. I'm just kidding. I just didn't remember that's how they that's how we did it back then anyway. 85 we were negative two you didn't do it any sort of way any way okay I know. forget the pay phone I'm he, sorry. She, yeah, i know. it never rang um so he's worried he calls the police to go over there police show up at, at their home but nobody's answering it seems like no one's there so they leave a note on the door telling katie to call gary note he didn't call for like a full-on kick-in-the-door welfare check His first thought when she didn't call was one of the kids got hurt, and they're at the hospital, like, fixing a broken arm or something. Yeah. So on Sunday, May 12th, which was Mother's Day, their neighbor Bob notices that newspapers have been piling up in their driveway, yet their station wagon, which is their only car, was still parked. So that seems weird to him. Remember, military town, they're very observant Mm -hmm. and very tight-knit. Yeah. So Bob goes over there to see what's going on. He's knocking, ringing the doorbell. Nobody's answering. And then he hears a baby crying. Oh! He runs home and tells his wife to call 911. A cop shows up and looks in the window and sees Jana, 22-month-old, standing in her crib, wailing. (laughs) I remember that part, and I hate it so much. It's so sad. So the cop gets in through the window, grabs Jana, passes her through to Bob. And as he's doing that, he notes that the house smells horrible. Oh, God. Poor little Jana was dehydrated. Her diaper was extremely full. She had been left alone for about three days. (gasps) They took her to the hospital, and the doctor said she was hours from dying. That makes me so sad. I would have held that baby so tight. Bob's the Um, neighbor? Yeah. Okay. Detectives Robert Biddle and Jack Watts show up to search the home. They find a pair of jeans and some buttons from a shirt and women's underwear on the floor in the living room. Mm. Trigger warning. Oh God. They find five-year-old Kara in her bed under a blanket. No. She was dead. No. In the primary bedroom, they find three-year- old Aaron dead on the floor on one side of the bed and on the other side of the bed was Katie also dead, naked from the waist down. Oh my God. They were all stabbed and beaten to death. Oh. Katie was also raped. Oh man. They call Gary Eastburn, and they don't want to tell him over the phone, so they only tell him there's been a death and he needs to get home. Oh, my God. Gary is not a suspect since he was in Alabama at the time, so they really don't have anything to go off, off of, except that Gary knew that someone bought the dog, but he didn't know who. Mm-hmm. Their only true witness is 22-month-old Jana. Oh Can you imagine? We both have kids that age. What if an investigation was up to Britain or Carolyn? Oh my God, poor angels. I mean, it couldn't be done. That is not a, that's not a witness. They can't. Right. Yeah, too young. But yeah, they they do bring in a child psychologist to talk to Jana. And at one point she says, hide from the burglar, he's going to come get me. <gasps> and she, this is all on tape. She also says, shh, don't say anything. <gasps> so the child psychologist concluded that Jana likely didn't see anything, but she probably heard stuff detectives also figured that the killer may not have known that jana was in her room other- otherwise she probably would not have been spared maybe she was asleep or based off of what she told the psychologist her older sisters may have hidden her in her crib oh my god hidden her in crib she's probably is during the night she's probably mm-hmm. already in her crib yeah we don't know okay yeah i, I figured that too but she said, hide from the burglar. He's gonna come get me. And then sh- don't say anything. Yeah, maybe she slept with her mom that night or something. Yeah, and the kid then the older girls took, took care of her. It's oh, just like God. really heart hurts. Um so they have some evidence. They found fingerprints, hair, both head and pubic. Mm. There were shoe prints, and they did luminol and found blood all over the walls. It appeared the person who did this attempted to clean up. Mm. The next day, a witness comes forward. Patrick Cohn contacts police and says he was walking by the Eastburns' home around 3.30 a.m. Friday, May 10th. Mm -hmm. He lived in the neighborhood and walked to work every morning, and he was a janitor, so he had to be there uber early. So this is not unusual that he was walking at 3.30 in the morning. Uh He said he saw a tall white man with blonde hair, wide nose, and mustache leaving the Eastburns' home with a bag. The man even spoke to Patrick saying, getting an early start this morning, Mm. he was wearing a beanie, jeans, a black members-only jacket, and was getting into a white Chevy Chevette. Wow. Patrick really took a notice to this man. Wide nose. Golly, how big was this guy's nose if he noticed it at 3 a.m.? I I know. I kind of don't see it, but (laughs) um, I know. Very, well... It was 3.30 a.m. He probably never sees anyone out. So it just Yeah, he's the out. only person to notice. Yeah. Yeah. So police drew up a sketch based off of this. Detectives then have Gary walk through the house with them to see if anything's missing. He notices that Katie's ATM card and a piece of paper that she kept the PIN number on were both gone. So detectives need to determine exactly when the murders happened so they can look for any charges after that date. Mm-hmm. They look at the newspapers that were piling up in the driveway, and the first one was May 10th, which matches up with Patrick's story. Oh, yeah. On May 15th, detectives put out an alert on the news that they need to talk to whoever drives a white Chevy Chevette and recently bought a dog. Mm -hmm. Tim Hennis is at home eating when he sees the alert on the news, realizes that the woman he bought the dog from is the same one who was murdered. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So he, his wife Angela, and their baby Christina go to the police station. They have like a newborn baby. Mm-hmm. Police are immediately suspicious of him because he looks exactly like the sketch—a giant nose. I, I picture the, um, like a character caricature on, the, like that you draw on the boardwalk with the big features, and yeah. just having a big ass nose. No, it's Not even big. I don't know. <laughs> I don't see it. But okay. Well, I picture a cartoon character. Well did do that <laughs> they start interrogating him obviously and Tim says he did buy the dog and picked him up on May 7th just before 9 p.m. he told Katie he wanted to make sure Dixie got along with their other dog so Katie was like that's fine and she watched him drive away with Dixie from her front porch he was like easy breezy exchange yeah he didn't even know Katie's name and didn't return to the home after that on May 9th Katie called him to see how the dogs were getting along and Tim said great so it was just a done deal. Good. Okay. Tim's being very cooperative. He gives them hair, blood, and saliva samples. He also gives fingerprints, palm prints, and he's at the police station for seven hours for questioning before they let him leave. Oh, geez. Okay. After that, they bring Patrick Cohn to the station for a photo lineup. Patrick immediately picks out Tom and says, it's definitely him because he remembers his wide nose. <laughs> <laughs> they, I'm telling you, I don't see it. <laughs> they also ask him to pick out his car. And again, he immediately picks the right one. So they get a warrant and arrest Tom. Mm. After that, other people start coming forward saying they saw a white Chevette at the Eastburn's home on May 9th. And things really don't look good for Tom. But he was picking up a dog. Yeah, you saw it. Because no, he, was... he picked him up on the 7th. Oh, that's right. Okay. Why would he be there on the night? Were Chavette's just like all the rage in the 80s? Don't know. Everyone had one. Well, okay, we'll see. Yeah. Things really aren't looking good for Tim, though. Yeah. Here are a few more things they discover. There are two withdrawals from Katie's ATM card of $150 each, which was the maximum withdrawal amount. Coincidentally, Tim's rent was due the following week, and his rent was guess $300 just about $300. Mm. They then learned from neighbors that the weekend of the murders, Tim was burning contents in a 50-gallon barrel in his backyard. Oh, they Tom! Don't they don't know what he was burning. They also discovered that he not only had a members-only jacket, but he took it to the dry cleaner on May 10th. Oh, Tim. However, they talked to the dry cleaner, and he said it was a very general cleaning had there been blood it would have been a very different cleaning process and it wasn't. Yeah. So, and also I would have contacted the police had there been <laughs> copious th- amounts of blood on um. copious amounts of blood. Um you could take that shit off. Take shit off. Take your jacket off, stab, put the jacket back on. Yeah. Or carry it true. out, you know. Yeah. That's true. They they're very glued to the fact that he 100% was wearing this jacket. I'm like that's you know no shit. Lastly, they tracked down a woman who used the same ATM three minutes after the withdrawals from Kate's card. And she said she did notice a tall white man with blonde hair wearing camo pants getting into a light colored car. She didn't know what kind it of was. She also did a photo lineup and immediately picked him. Oh, Tim, it's not like good. It's not good. Really stacked against Tim. Uh-huh. Tim's going to trial. Uh-huh. Since he's in the army and charged with killing an officer's family, it could have gone to court martial, but it didn't happen on base. So they were like, it can go to civilian court trial. Hmm. This, this is why I have so many sources. (laughs) Yeah. I bet. I was like, wait a minute. It's a whole complicated thing, this process (laughs) that we live in. (laughs) Oh my God. Military versus civilian. Uh Uh-huh. Holy shit. Yeah. Anyway, so let me know if you have questions, but. That's what happened. It goes to civilian court trial. It could have gone to court-martial either way. All of my questions would be probably so stupid. Well, then let's leave them out. <laughs> anyway, before trial starts, Tim is offered a plea bargain. Two counts of second-degree murder with a likely penalty of two consecutive life sentences, but no death penalty. Tim says, absolutely not. He's not pleading guilty to something he did not do. Why two counts? There were not Three. They didn't explain that. I'm guessing for the kids. Yeah. But which is bullshit yeah. for Kate. But, but if he's in two consecutive life sentences, I think, I don't know. Yeah. They didn't go into that. I'm guessing the, for the kids. The prosecution, again, is, has a pretty stacked case. <laughs> I'd focusing, say so. uh, focusing on the fact that two witnesses immediately pointed him out. The member's only jacket guarding the drag cleaner. The two $150 charges at the ATM and the fact that he lied about where he was the night of the murders. Oh. hmm Tim told police that he took his wife and daughter to his in-law's house and then went straight home. However, his ex-girlfriend came forward and said, no, he came over to her house that night hoping to hook up, but she rejected him. So he left. The prosecution's theory is now that he left her house looking for sex, remembered the very attractive mom of three, Katie, who was home alone because her husband was at a training in Alabama, and when she rejected him, he snapped. (gasps) As they're making this case at trial, the gruesome crime scene photos are being projected over to him, and they're oftentimes referring to him as the baby killer. Oh, my God. Oh, that's controversial, huh? Yep. Yeah, can't do that in trial. The defense focused on the fact that none of the physical evidence could be linked to him the fingerprints did not match. Oh. The palm, the palm prints did not match him. There was blood on a towel in the house that didn't match his blood type. It was 1985, so there's no DNA, so they could just tell blood type. Yeah. But it was a different blood type. Yeah, that's... Oh, okay. That's essentially all the defense had, and compared to the prosecution... It wasn't enough because Tim Henness was found guilty of three counts of first-degree murder and one count of rape, and he was sentenced to death. Whoa. What It is all pretty circumstantial, right? And, like, you get in blind rage because you wanted to have sex that night or whatever. Do you kill kids because of that? I know. I wonder what happened. I know. Well, we can talk about—we'll talk about all that at the end. Okay. I do not like that he's a cheater. Well, no one does. No one does. She has a newborn baby she's taken care of. She doesn't need her husband cheating on her. Listen. While in prison, Tom and the sheriff's office both get a letter in the mail Mm -hmm. that says, Dear Mr. Henness, I did the crime. I murdered the Eastburns. Sorry you're doing the time. Thanks, Mr. X. (gasps) Oh, my God. (laughs) Uh, You scared me. I, (laughs) I knew that, but I wanted to give you something. Thank you. Oh, my God. You you startled me. I was like, what? Who's was behind me. I was me. About to say someone's behind you. No, I just wanted to give you that, but I did know that part already. Okay. <laughs> Moving on. The letter was dated July 8, 1986, which was the day he was sentenced. In 1988, after two years of being on death row, Tim's defense attorney, Appealed his case on the grounds that the images projected over Tim's head pretty much the entire trial greatly influenced the jury's decision, and the state supreme court agreed. Yeah, I mean, I do too. You can't call him a baby killer. Yeah, yeah. With the pictures of oof, You're right? Gruesome crime scene photos just overside, so they overturn the verdict, and Tim gets a new trial. Mm. The prosecution, again, focuses on their two witnesses, Patrick Cohn and the woman from the ATM. No, we don't know her name, by the way. Okay. But both witnesses are back better than ever. But this time, the defense goes all out because they learned a lot of new information between these two trials. For starters, they discovered that a few months before the murders, Gary and Katie had been receiving weird phone calls, usually sexual in nature, from a man asking for Katie by name and, like, saying he was about to come over. Oh. That's, yeah. that I did not know. I don't remember that. They also discredit the two witnesses. Mm-hmm. Patrick Cohn had been in a little bit of a trouble in between trials. Nothing, like, no gnarly crimes, but things like public intoxication. But charges against him were always dropped, so he'd brag to people that they can't arrest him because he was the star witness in the Hennessy case. So they he was, like get arrested and be like, yeah, right. Y'all need me. Oh, Y'all need to... Like, just just bragging. Oh. He also said the night that he saw Tim Henness was a very clear night. Stars were out, but it was actually overcast, which oh, I'm like. come on. That is not, a... that adds nothing to de- the defense to me, but whatever. <laughs> like, <laughs> sorry I got the weather wrong. Come on. Right. They, like, got a meteorologist. It's. I'm like, that was, what a waste. They are grasping at straws here. In the situation with ATM, they argued, and this was my very first thought when I read it, three minutes is a really long time between two ATM charges. Oh, yeah, I guess it is. Tim Hennis was likely not the man she saw in the parking lot when she was using the ATM. If he used it three minutes before, he was probably gone. They then set a timer in the courtroom for three minutes and made everyone wait. And it's a really long time. But so... They think she saw no one? She's lying? You no, know, they think she, someone... But they only have the two receipts. Tim says, and then there was no one in between, right? Oh, I did not drive to Fayetteville to case this ATM, but I'm picturing it in like a shopping center or something else around it where she probably saw a man in the parking lot. He may not have used the ATM. Oh. And was like, oh yeah, I saw a man. Because the other thing is she pointed him out immediately but by this time, his face was all over the news. Oh, so okay. she saw a line. I was like, oh, yeah, that guy, I've seen him. His face was all over the place. Yeah. So that's how I picture it. I don't know where this ATM was, but I think she was probably walking up to use one and saw a man that resembled him somewhere right. in the parking lot and was like, oh, yeah, that must have been him. Oh, yeah. Okay. Obviously, they went back to the evidence saying the blood on the towel didn't match, the hair didn't match, the fingerprints didn't match, the palm prints didn't match. And this is what they did not know. The footprints out- found outside the house were from a shoe that was three sizes too small for Tom. Oh, God, they I don't remember any of these details. I know I keep saying that and I'm sorry, but God, I'm trying to piece it together in my mind and I'm this is baffling, okay? Yeah. The prosecution again brings up how Tim drag cleaned his members-only jacket the day of the murders, and that's sketchy. So the defense bought a members-only jacket, covered it in blood, had it drag cleaned, and then put luminol on it, and it lit up. Oh, You could see all the blood. Mm-hmm. So they then put luminol on Tim's jacket and nothing. Mm-hmm. But again, I'm like, so he wasn't wearing the jacket then? Right. right. <laughs> I don't know. The I'm jacket like, is, you take it off, you put it on, that's how it works. <laughs> that's how <laughs> clothes work. So, that's how, yep. And Tim knew that. <laughs> See, he was one of those smart fellas who knew that clothes come on and off. Uh-huh. <laughs> the final hurrah for the defense is a brand new witness. This is crazy. A man named John Rapal, I don't know if I'm saying that right. Mm-hmm. He came forward and said he lived down the street from the Eastburns and often had trouble sleeping. And when he did, he would take strolls around the neighborhood, usually around 3 a.m., and he almost always wears beanie and members-only jacket. Oh. The kicker is he looks exactly like Tim Henness. <laughs> He's tall, blonde, has a mustache. It, I mean, you 100% would confuse them. It's insane. Why the F he didn't come yeah. forward during the original investigation? Who knows? You are not only wasting time, but taxpayers' dollars, sir. Come forward. I mean, didn't think that was important, Couple years ago, punk. <laughs> right. Does he remember so, talking to Patrick and saying early start this morning or whatever? No. Uh, well, no. Yeah. He didn't he didn't admit to any of that. But I mean come on. That's a little crazy. The jury deliberates for two days and on April nineteenth, nineteen eighty nine, they find him not guilty. And Tim Henness is free to leave the courthouse with his wife and daughter. Wow. <laughs> Tim was honorably discharged from the army, but after his release, he reenlisted, serving in Operation Desert Storm and Somalia. He was promoted multiple times. And in 2004, he retired as a master sergeant. Wow. Yeah. He very good marks in the army. Yeah. He moved to Washington with his family. At this point, he and Angela also had a son. Mm -hmm. Tim was a scout leader. Like he was just living the good, wholesome family life after being wrongfully accused of murder. He went on to become an advocate for people who were wrongfully accused, making public appearances with other former inmates to discuss how wrong the justice system can be. Scott Wisnett, a former editor and courtroom reporter from Wilmington, wrote a book called Innocent Victims about the Eastburn murders. Scott interviewed Tim for it. They were promoting it all over the place, like making it a big deal. Ultimately, there was a TV movie about it. Oh, what was it called? Innocent Victims. Oh, okay. <laughs> Good <laughs> figure. I no, sorry. Scott even started teaching seminars about advanced criminal intelligence techniques and using the e-sperm murders as a case study about how investigations can go wrong and the new technology that can now solve cold cases, things like DNA, obviously. Right. So after one of these seminars in 2006, a detective named Larry Trotter, who worked for the Cumberland County Sheriff's Office, which is Fayetteville, North Carolina, went up to Scott and was like, if they extracted the sperm from Katie's body and couldn't do anything with it back then... Now we can do something with it and actually solve this case. Because mind you, this case is cold now. Yeah, yeah. So they send the two, he's like, good point. So they send the two swabs of sperm found in Katie's body to two different c- crime labs in North Carolina. They got the results back and both found that with a $12 trillion to one certainty, the DNA matched none other than Tim effing Henness. Tim motherfucking Henness. So many questions, though, I'm running through my mind. But Okay. The sperm okay. did, so they had sex. Yeah. He, she was raped. Uh, we already No, that. I know, but that doesn't necessarily mean he killed her. Like, what if it's consensual? <laughs> wow. You're really moving ahead, and I'm I'm going to slay you for that. Oh, my God. Okay. Wait, cut it. You're a bitch. No. Hold on. You'll see. Well, but I meant, like, couldn't that mean that If it's blood, if it's not his blood, his fingerprints, his shoe print, I don't remember. Okay, keep going. Okay. It's just, okay. Fuck you. (laughs) Wait, I was just playing devil's advocate. No, don't. Because here's here's what you're thinking, because I'm going to move on and we're going to get to those points, Rebecca. All right, Rebecca, I want to make the record show that you said that on me. I'm going to move on with my story. I know what you're thinking, though. He's already been acquitted per double jeopardy. You cannot be tried for the same crime twice. Guess what? Again, here's why I have so many sources. (laughs) Because you can in the Army. There's an exception called dual sovereignty. Yeah. The state could not take him back to trial. That is double jeopardy. Right. But because the federal government is considered a sovereign authority... It's separate from the state, and since he re-enlisted in the Army like an idiot, the case can be retried by court-martial. Yeah. So, two years after his retirement, the Army called him back into active duty just to arrest him and charge, <laughs> him, charge him with the murders. Nice. There's a lot of online debate about this and how fair it was, especially the, quote, loophole to double jeopardy, but what can you do? It's in the Constitution, and it finally works in the favor of children who are victims of a violent crime. Oh, good. It reminds me of that tweet when the Constitution, the Second Amendment came up, of course, during the 12 millionth school shooting of the year. Mm -hmm. And that guy had tweeted, I don't know, man, maybe some dudes from the 1700s who owned people and would (laughs) be mystified by a microwave weren't (laughs) right. Weren't right about everything in perpetuity <laughs> or whatever that tweet was. I remember that. I don't know, so, man. I don't know. Right. Maybe, maybe not, though. Probably not. Yeah. Maybe that group of racist white guys just didn't know it all. But in this case, I'm fine with it. Oh, yeah. I mean, whether it was the loopholes or the right or the justice system, so mess messed up a lot, it put a murderer away of children. Of children. So, so and of Katie. Well, she's. Well, we don't. We don't know if I put him away yet because I have to tell you about the third trial. Oh, God. Well, this one, it's short because DNA. Mm -hmm. Tim maintained his innocence, saying he swears he only got the dog and never went back to the house. And the defense was like, really? That's so crazy that your DNA matched the sperm with a 12 trillion to one certainty. Right. Do you understand? That's 12 with 15 zeros behind it. Yeah. And he immediately changed his story and said that he did go back there a couple of days later to have consensual sex with Katie, but he didn't say it before because Gary had been through enough. Fuck off. I'm sorry. That's your defense. And this is what your point was earlier. So he's saying he went back over there, had consensual sex, and then mere coincidence, a murderer came in after him and killed the family. It, it's just a little much and a lot. The defense got a lot of flack for this because. An entire family's been murdered, and now you're gonna drag Katie, the victim's name, through the mud no, saying she was cheating right. on her husband. Screw that. You're absolutely right. I'm sorry. I was just playing the devil devil's advocate. If I were a mm-hmm. listener who never heard the story, and maybe I I didn't remember Tim saying that, but maybe I like subconsciously did and it was playing it in my head and I didn't know if that was true or not. So mm-hmm. no, absolutely you're- not. That would be ridiculous. I just kept on the Blood, the shoe print, that whole every other thing not being his. I'm like, wait, I well, I'm baffled. And I'm sorry. No, of course not. And of course it's him. And of course, all the things. The thing with the evidence in the house is it just wasn't Tom's. It could have been anyone's. It could have been someone from months ago. Like people were living in the house. It could have, they they just didn't know whose it was. Right. There's there's no time stamp on the hair found on the bed. Like, that could have been forever ago. And the blood was not, it wasn't a towel just covered in blood that cleaned up a crime scene. It was like a couple of drops. Yeah. And it was not his blood type, so that wasn't his. But it could have been anyone's. Right, yeah. So that doesn't really discredit him. What discredits him is um, his DNA found in her body yeah, the day she was murdered. Right. Absolutely. So it places him there. On April 9th, 2010, Jana, who is now 27 at this point, and Gary sat in the courtroom for the third time and watched the jury find Tim guilty on three counts of premeditated murder. Tim Henness is currently on death row in an army facility in Fort Leavenworth, Kansas. His attorneys most recently tried to appeal it in February 2020, but the court said, nah, you get to stay on death row, which is where he is today. He may not end up getting executed because it has to have presidential approval. And in recent years, that that usually does not happen. The U.S. military has not executed anyone from its ranks since 1961. Oh, wow. Let's hear that story. But, oh, yeah. Shit. I didn't even look it up. Oh, no. But okay. that's fine with Gary Eastburn. He says he's happy if he just spends the rest of his life in jail. Speaking of, Gary and Jana did end up moving to England. I was going to ask. They did end up moving. And in 1991, Gary met and remarried a nurse who Jana said in an interview was the only mom she ever knew. And she, like, loves her. She was like, I wouldn't want her to feel any other way. Oh, my God. I just want to hug that baby. I can't imagine. She's an adult now. I know. Wait, so Tim would have had to kill the children probably maybe first before Katie, raping Kate. Like, what a... The worst last moments of your life? I personally think he... Oh, did it before? Did not, did it. Yeah, I think you... Only based off the child psychologist saying, shh, don't don't make any sound or whatever she said. Why did he do that? He's a fucking psycho. Oh, my God. Were you going to ask if I think he's guilty or innocent? No, I was going to ask if you think that motive that they suggested before like he wanted to have sex he made advances and she rejected him whatever and he flipped was the case i was just like would you kill children of that like they were asleep well i'm wondering if he if that is the case he got the dog shortly before 9 p.m he said maybe the kids were asleep maybe he didn't even know she had kids yeah and when he went over there and realized oh two of these kids could talk and identify me I don't oh, know. God. I think he's a lunatic. Obviously. Oh. Isn't that the worst? Yeah. But, I was like, surely he didn't do it. After that second trial, it was pretty good. I remember again that. the footprints they found, that they, they were just someone's footprints. It could have been Katie's. Like they it was the 80s. I know that's true. That's true. How did he write the note to himself in jail? Oh, I don't know. Mm. Or maybe he got a friend. I don't know. That's interesting. Know. I'll post the note oh okay please do it's very bad handwriting boys usually do have bad handwriting generation y theorized that he used his uh left hand his well i don't know if he was left hand or right his less dominant hand mm. i'll say yeah probably i mean it just looks like that wow what a piece of shit and i love i'm so glad that he voluntarily gave all his dna in the 80s thinking what are they gonna do yeah that's that's what he did yeah that's why he did it he was so confident that DNA testing was not advance at all. He re-enlisted in the Army. And <laughs> on that note, his defense attorneys apparently were like, do not re-enlist in the Army. And he's like, There's nah, I'm set free as a bird. Yep. If Had he never done that, it, he really would not be in jail. Yeah. Oh, my God. I'm sorry. I'm. Uh, th- it's very controversial that the Army called him back into duty to to arrest him, but I'm like, it's like yeah, but he killed an entire family. I know. Sure. Entrapment no. or whatever. I don't know what it is. but It's not. You can be called back into active duty if you're retired. I know, but with the sole intent to bust you for a crime, which, don't get me wrong, it got, I put a murderer away. So I don't really care how they did it. But from what I read, one of the purposes other than like war is for court martial. Yeah. I, I believe, God, what if, <laughs> what if people are, I, I. I know I read that. If it's from one of the credible sources, I'm not sure. All your sources yeah. you read are, seem pretty credible. Yeah, that's true. It wasn't like National Choir. National Enquirer. Um, the Onion. <laughs> the Onion <laughs> was a very helpful source. No, um, a bunch of things like... I typed into a Word document was one of them. No, that was good. That is a piece of shit right there. With that said, I, mine has a hint of a army kind of military grade level of it next week. Uh-oh. Just a very small one. I'm doing okay. Megan Landowski, but you'll see. You don't know shit. I, that's what you think. And neither do you listeners. So do not Google. <laughs> Ooh. Just kidding. Um, all right. Well, thanks y'all. Thanks y'all. Join our Patreon follow us on the social medias you know what to do you know I